0: Hey, you busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. I'm actually having a real time download that I was processing and some great gems was coming out of it. And I was like, hold on before, before I go down this particular trail, let me go ahead and pick up the phone and have the conversation in real time. So I noticed that the people with the biggest hearts have the emptiest cups Meaning that the people who are pure in motives, pure in intentions, pure in their execution and delivery of a thing are usually the people that are not receiving that reciprocated. They are usually the people that are easily forgotten, either because they make things look easy or they just simply don't ask. And going further into that thought, I thought about the word ask, that the Bible says, "You, if you ask, then you shall receive, right? And then it further goes on to say that you have not because you ask not. Okay, so the the conundrum in that is that often big-hearted people don't ask for help. <laughs> and so most of the time, they are not receiving certain things because they simply have not honed in on the art of asking. And, and that was like kind of mind-blowing to me because I'm like, wait a minute. In my opinion, there's two types of people in the world. There's a the first group of people who feel like I shouldn't have to ask you to do anything for me because you don't have to ask me in return to do anything for you. I think about you. It Thoughtfulness should be easy. <laughs> Literally. I just feel like, you know, uh, if you thought more of me and if you cared for me, then there should be no reason for me to ask of anything. You just, fill in where you see that there's a need or it should just be like, I remember having a conversation with one of my homeboys back in the days and he saw that a friend of his, their wife threw a surprise 30th birthday party. And for some reason that really tugged on the heartstrings. So as he was approaching his 30th birthday, when he didn't get that, kind of celebratory awesomeness for his 30th he felt some kind of way and what he got in turn was someone that kind of sort of maybe overlooked the day and then when brought up like you do know today is my birthday. It was like, oh, there was this rush attempt to try to go ahead and do something for him. And I remember saying to him, well, why didn't you just tell her that you wanted to be celebrated in that way, that you wanted for this one to be a little bit more, you know, she can overlook any other one, 28, 29. But the 30th meant a lot to you. And his verbiage to me was I shouldn't have to say that. The things that I do for her, she don't have to ask me. When I saw that there were certain things that were unspoken needs, I met them. And I was like, (laughs) I get it. Good point. You know, it's just there are the kind of grandbabies. That's the first group. The first group is like, yo, I'm modeling out what I feel I should be receiving. There are literally a group of grandbabies that feel like, because I think at its natural core, we don't love people in the way that they want to be loved or desire to be loved, we love people first, the way that we want to be loved and hope and pray that as we model out the way that we want to be loved, that they would just simply copy and paste. And in that way, it would be reciprocated. And that's why demonstrations of love can be so muddled and confusing because people are like, what do you mean you don't feel love. I do A, I do B. And what they're simply saying is, man, if you loved me in this way, like I would be on cloud nine. But again, because we come from a selfish nature, what we actually are doing is loving other people and fulfilling what will be feeling for us. And so that's the first group of grandbabies. I shouldn't have to tell you anything. Love should be enough for you to go ahead and see, you know, meet the unspoken things that need to be fulfilled. And if you miss that by some kind of chance, then you can go ahead and just simply copy and paste and just reproduce what I'm modeling out. Then there's a the second group of grandbabies, in my opinion, where they feel like, uh, I want to do everything for everyone else. And I want to do that at the kindness of my heart. And I don't really want nothing in return. Surely, truly, and truly, I don't. And I said, it's, it's a shame that most people fall into one of those categories. Because what that means, it, it still equates to somebody not having their heart's desires or their needs met. And so I honestly have come to the conclusion that not being able to fully, truly articulate a need in the way that it is presented through a question or a request is dangerous territory, not to just people that are your peers or intimate relationships, but because there's a spiritual application to it. You need to be able to present what it is that's bothering you. That way you can cast your care to God. You need to be able to present what your needs are so that he can meet that. There are certain things that are broken, fulfilled and removed through the simple art of asking and presenting it in question form. And if someone struggles with that In any capacity, to me, it is too dangerous to have it where you do not know how to articulate a need or you have overrode your needs to the point that you don't even recognize that you have a need. There is danger in that because then you are walking this walk of life. You are fighting this fight in life. You are literally executing through measures of your own strength and you don't realize that it makes you more susceptible for attacks. You can't just walk around like, oh, I'm okay. And like, no, you need to see a doctor. You can't just walk around like, I'm not going to look at the gas tank. No, you need to know when it's time to refill. You can't just keep using your electronics and not looking at the battery life. No, it's time to charge it. So if there are some maintenance things that are needed for just the tangible items in our lives, then it's even the more for our particular bodies our mindsets, our hearts and our souls. And I realized that before God can do anything exponential in you, he has got to get you to a place that you are willing to receive. That you are willing to receive the call that is over your life, that you are willing to receive how he views you, that you are willing to receive and say yes and amen, that you are willing to just, you know what, God, I'm going to ask for something that just looks like, wow. Like if you think about the greats, he went to Solomon and was like, what can I do for you? buddy?" was like, eh, just give me the heart to be able to, you know, govern these people. Just give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And God was like, Really? That's what you asked me to do for you. You didn't ask for fame and riches and to do something to your enemies. And buddy was just like, nah, I just, I've never done this before. And I want to make sure I do this in excellence. Huh? When you think about the prophet Elijah and Elisha. The prophet was like, okay, buddy, listen, you've been following me three towns over now. What is it that I can do for you? Elisha was like, so glad you asked. I would like a double portion of your uh, anointing, sir. He was like, Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Would you, <laughs> the question you present in outside of my jurisdiction, I don't, that's above my pay grade, sir. So I'll tell you what, if you see me go up and descend into the heavens and you know what, God has allowed you to see it and you can go ahead and have your request be fulfilled. Otherwise that's between you and the Lord. And, um, it's above me now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just like, you know what, but it, it literally, you think about Hannah, she went to the, Priest in the tabernacle went ahead and what did she do? She asked God for a son. And so all the things throughout the Bible, every time that I've seen that it was some type of miraculous something, it kind of, if you were to scale it back, it all stems down to their ability to ask and receive. But if we don't get the first portion correct, of asking in the first place, how can we ever get to a, a place in our lives where receiving is normal? Some of it comes from childhood. Most people had to fend for themselves. Then when you did go ahead and ask, it wasn't met. And so you low key may have experience, you know, in babies, when, when needs aren't met, it's called failure to thrive. And I believe people experience that in some impressionable portions of their lives. So maybe you did go ahead and say, hey, can I have a B and C? And it was we don't have it. Rightfully so or maybe it was just lazy parenting or maybe it was ineffective parenting or whatever it was you learned. It doesn't even make sense to ask anyway, because the question is going to be no. And so you have went ahead and suppress your ability to receive. Maybe as you got old enough in the adulthood kind of was like struggleville for you to, to start off with. And so what you've learned to do was really hone in on the art of delayed satisfaction that you you didn't really ask for much you didn't you didn't really want your friends to ask you to go out because you didn't really have it and so all of that was suppressing the entire combination, the most important part of it of asking and so what did you do? you've learned how to put receiving on the back burner. That is why I believe that when God enters the chat and he starts to say stuff to you, like mighty man of valor the way that he did with Gideon it's like uh sir do you have the right (laughs) you have the right person I'm sorry not only am I like the lowest of the lowest but within my family who is the lowest of the lowest rebuke that name of Jesus he was actually the lowest of the lowest in that family and it's because yes someone somewhere forgot to remind you of who you are someone somewhere forgot to go ahead and tell you even though that's their story it doesn't have to be yours Someone. Somewhere kind of mutated your ability to ask and then yet, let's keep finishing, receive. I feel like ask and receive is a twin combo that should not ever be removed from our palette of life. Not from the people we care for, not for the people who care for us, and not from the one who is caring for us, which is God. And if I'm honest, in the season that I'm currently in, God is really working on that. He's working on the fact that I have been mutated and deceived in my thinking that anything that I receive, I have to actually uh, deserve. That I have to work for certain things. That I have to earn in some capacity anything that is good. And it's like, time out. God has literally, if I'm being, I'm being transparent now, so let's just go ahead and we're here now, so let's just keep going. He has gotten me to the point that he's like, if I decide to give you something good, you don't get to put it on the value system to try to determine if you deserved it. They do that in school. You only get this particular pizza party if you got this on your whatever, or you only get this kind of accolade. If you, you know, you're only honorable if you get these particular grades. And yeah, that's a school metric system. Sometimes it spills over to the professional life. It will make sense if you earned that promotion because of how hard you worked, the education and experience you were able to gather. And so it makes sense that you got promoted because you earned it. It makes sense if you went ahead and was able to afford whatever the tangible thing was because of how hard and how consistently you've been saving. All of that makes sense. But what happens when a good, good father, a perfected father, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, what happens when he says, I want to bless you just because. It rattles someone like myself. Like, okay, so because you start to learn, well, I'm not about to pray for financial whatever if I'm not out there just working to the gristle. And then what happens when God does what he's done in my life, which is I no longer want you to hustle. I want you to move from being Martha, which is you was doing something good for Jesus, to becoming Mary, where you sit at the feet of Jesus. Now that can be confusing. How is anything that Martha was doing bad because she wasn't doing it for herself. She wanted to put on this big dinner for Jesus. That's the whole reason why she invited him to the house in the first place. So doing something for Jesus should just be equally as important. Right. And it's like, no, because I didn't read that. Jesus said, Martha, I'm expecting you to cook me this bread. Now that was something that Jesus requested. Of her, then I can see her being like, I am walking out what Jesus said to do. She decided, I'm going to put on this huge dinner. And I'm sure Jesus was in the living room, like, I would have been okay with a turkey and cheese sandwich. I'm not going to hold you. I didn't come in here, come into your life, come into this home for to put this added pressure on yourself. I know that I revealed to you what your gift is. I didn't put this added pressure that you're supposed to go ahead and maximize it and, and make an empire out of it. I know that I showed you who your particular spouse is, but I that didn't mean that I wanted you to go in this craze kind of like accelerated path of trying to fix yourself up to be the perfect mate and all that was like when Jesus shows you something, when God grants you the ability to show you something that does not mean that you have to go into this rapid AP class of trying to make it make sense to you so that you can receive it. And God just really put me in on the ropes real quick. He was like, I'm not going to hold you. Uh, you don't know how to receive well. And I, at first didn't see that as a problem. I was like, okay, because between you and I and the Lord, because he's listening to these conversations, I I was like, God, it's a lot of stingy grandbabies in these streets. I'm talking about a plethora, sir. They stingy, they're selfish, they're all the things. So I feel like if I just so happen to be a part of the low percentage of grandbabies that decided, guess what? I don't want nothing from you and I'm not going to ask nothing of you. I think that that should be, you know, kind of like I'm adding to the goodness, right? And he was like, no, because what you don't understand is that life is not compartmentalized. What you do in one area of your life, you do in all. So you don't ask people, sometimes you don't ask God. And he's like, okay, so we gotta <laughs> we gotta switch that. Because what you started doing in your soul, you spilled it over to your spiritual life. And he's like, I'm sorry, I want you to ask of me. The Bible says that if fathers on earth give their children good presents, then what more does God want to do for you? And I got to the point that I was like, okay, well, God, um, what do you want me to do? You know what he told me? Nothing. Oh my goodness. To lay starfish in the spirit. I'm going to give you that visual. To lay starfish in the spirit and feel like you just want me to rest. You just want me to hear your instruction So that I can respond in obedience. You don't want me to walk ahead of you. You don't want me to be misaligned with you. You don't want me to be confused. You want me to be very, very clear. But you also want me to understand that I don't get to qualify what you want to give me. No matter what it is. And if you think about it, some of your heart's desires, you're kind of like, oh, okay, you've put a time limit on it of when it will make sense to you. You've put a, a salary or a monetary factor on it because it makes sense once you have that in your account, you made it. And it's all these other prerequisites that God is like, no, if I wanted to give this to you now, I can. If I want to give Abram a baby at a hundred, I can do that. If I want to go ahead and give Mary, you know, the... Make her the mother of the savior without her knowing a man I can do that if I want to go ahead and part a red sea for the first time ever I want to be able to do that no one gets to pre-qualify or give a prerequisite to what the father wants to do in your life just learn how to ask and Betty, yet how about just learning also how to receive the problem is is that you suppress the asking so you delay the receiving and then you wonder why certain things aren't happening in your life and he's like I'm trying to bring life back to the very art of the thing that you buried so now he has to dig it out of your soul now he has to get you to a place that you're comfortable even holding it back in your hand and he has to get it make it a part of your palate again because you had it at one point in your life but you allowed life to snatch it from you you know how I know? Because as a kid, I don't care what your parents' financial status was. You would look at something on a commercial. You would look at something outside. You would look at something in a grocery store and you would say what? Oh, I want that. (laughs) You would ask. Yeah, we have learned how to go ahead and master that. And at some point or another, one of the two things that we've asked for, we have received it. That That is why I truly believe everything that we would ever need, we already had. But then what the enemy does through life experiences and external environments tries to snatch away and kind of mutate the thing that was actually a good thing in us. A good thing. It was a good thing to ask and receive because when you learned it early, by the time you have to be an adult and you have to transfer that over to father God, it should be a breeze. But no, by the time you get to father God, you feel like, no, just bless me with the resource. I got the rest. Just bless me with the job. I'm going to go ahead and work hard. Just bless me with the spouse. I'm going to do everything in my power. And God is like, no, that's not, I'm sorry. That's not how that works. When you ask me for something and you receive it, I then want you to come back to me and ask me how to sustain it. But we don't get that part. We feel like all the hard work and all the heavy lifting and everything else that comes with that is on our shoulders. And he's like, no, because my yoke is easy. The burden is light. He is a gentle teacher. Read about how God describes the way that he wants to even teach us. It it, it has words like gentle, words like humble teacher. Because he knows the pressure that needs to be added when you're not applying your best. And he knows how to come up off of you and let you breathe a little bit because you've been hard on yourself. So he doesn't even need to give you that touch. He's a great, great father. And somewhere along the line, something has happened to snatch away the things that he's like, I got to get that back into you. People are always trying to change for the better. People are always trying to make themselves the better version of themselves. And sometimes a lot of the times what that looks like is go back and get some of them elements that you left behind because they were actually great things for you. Yeah, you wasn't like that before you started dating such and such. You weren't like that before that impressionable thing happened in your childhood. You weren't like that. And so instead of trying to get to a better version of who you are, get the better versions of what you were and then collaborate and combine those things because God is never really trying to make you a brand new person. He's just trying to make sure that the person and in, in the ingredients that's in your soul is pure motives, the way that you see people, the reasons behind why you seek things, Yeah. If you just look at the way that he maneuvered with Paul before he came Paul and when he was Saul, he didn't change him to a brand new person. He just changed his operating system. He was like, that same tenacity that you had, bro, when you were chasing down Christians and you went to no limit soldier. Uh, you did all that just to make sure that, yo, when you get there, you about to put some stuff in place and they going to know that you did. Like people were fearing you for real. Like yo, you had a tenacity and a relentlessness to kill Christians. Cool. What I'm going to do is I'm going to flip your switch and I'm going to get you on the right side of the kingdom so that you can have that same relentlessness for the kingdom. He didn't change He changed his name. He changed his operating system, but he didn't change the person that he was. Some of that foundational stuff that you had is exactly what you need for your calling. Some of that foundational experiences that you had, that's exactly what you need for your calling. But what happens is life circumstances and the people who were never supposed to press you the way that they did, they snatched it from you. And now you're trying to be a better version of who you never were supposed to be in the first place. Do you understand that? That's like trying to be a better version of a caged version of yourself. You were were never supposed to be caged. So I don't want you to be a better version of a caged animal. I want you to be a better version of the free animal you once were. Do you understand that? So when I was thinking about this whole thing of asking and receiving, because the way that I am, I need to see a practical version of that. I thought about the prophet and the Shunammite woman. And it spoke so effectively to my heart that I was like, I just have to share it. Second Kings chapter four, you know, I read in the N.O.T. version. Verse eight, we're going to start at one day. Elisha went to the town of Shunem, a wealthy woman lived there. And she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he was stopped there for something to eat. Nine, she said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Ten, let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. eleven. One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. Twelve, he said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared... Thirteen, Elisha said to Gehizai, Tell her we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes care of good care of me. Fourteen, later Elisha asked Gehizai, What can we do for her? Gehizai replied, She doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. 15. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, 16. Next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Mm. I low-key want to pause. Matter of fact, yeah, let's pause here. So, isn't it ironic, don't you think? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's about to go ham. It doesn't make any sense to me that this woman was feeding this man for free. Not only did she go ahead and feed him for free, she went ahead and got her husband on board to go ahead and revamp and extend, okay, the home that they were living in. Let's go ahead and build a whole brand new room, add some square footage for this stranger man that I kind of think he's of the Lord, but you know what, whatever it is, I just want to be kind. And not only are we going to add to the home, not only are we going to build the room that wasn't there, we're also going to furnish it. We're also going to furnish it. Not because he's going to be here all the time. Not because we know exactly his schedule. But just so that when he comes by, he'll have a place to stay. Ma'am, you remodeled your entire home. You furnished an entire brand new room for a man that may just arrive. You know, two, three times a year. But it was that important to you to see that somebody was comfortable. Was that important to you to see that he had not only something to eat, but somewhere to rest his head. It was that important to you that it wasn't just some kind of like, I'll just make a pallet on the floor. I want you to have your own space because you're a grown man who often comes with other people. And I want to make sure that y'all feel comfortable. It wasn't enough just to feed them. It wasn't enough just to provide some uh, space for them. It wasn't enough just to decorate it. She said, whenever you pass by, just know. That this particular Airbnb is yours from whenever you want to. So it would make sense that after some point, because godly people understand the spiritual principle of reciprocation. Elisha was like, bro, what I'm not going to do is be coming to your home, eating all your food, doing all the things, using your electricity. You want to build a whole brand new room and I'm not going to do nothing for you. Nah, I can't. We, we, something got it. Like I got to do something. And the fact that he asked like, okay, I'm going to go as high as I can go. Like what can I? So what is he saying? 13. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? Like what you need, you need, you need, uh, I, I, how, how, how grand of a jester? Like, how can I meet what you've done? What is her response? No, Mm-mm, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Yes, but ma'am. You've taken great care of this prophet and this prophet is saying, I want to reciprocate what you have done. What what can I do for you? So then what does it say after that? 14. Later, Elisha asked he's out, what can we do for her? Pause. Cause AKA she's not finna tell us. <laughs> she, listen, I asked her, what could we do? You want me to say something to the King, to the commander? She said, no, my family's going to take, my family takes good care of me, ma'am. Your family is not the King. Your family is not the commander. You didn't even try. You didn't even say, Oh no, it's okay. We got more than enough. You was just like, no, I got potatoes in the cabinet. Like that didn't even add up to what he was saying. So Elijah was like, "I heard her, but I still understand the the importance of reciprocation." So he's like, "Nah, I'm gonna go ask my my particular assistant again. Like, bro, what can we do?" He's like, and he's I just said what he saw. He was like, "Well, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man." Like I got, I, she's cause the Bible starts off by introducing us to this woman by saying she's a, a wealthy woman. Okay. She was, so she had the money. Okay. You have the home true. You don't want nothing from the King, nothing from the commander. So you're not really looking for your family to be looked after in any kind of way. But I did notice you don't have no kids and you probably not going to have no kids because your husband is old. So he was like, you know what? What he's saying, what he said, the very next verse, verse 15, call her back again. And what does he tell her? Next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and, and get my hopes up like that. Pause. Why was that so difficult to receive? Is it maybe because you didn't ask for it in the first place? And so you feel like, no, 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 no. I purposely didn't ask that because I didn't want to get my hopes up. I purposely didn't pray that to the Lord because I don't even want to stir that back up in my emotions. I purposely suppressed that in my soul because I figured if no one knew, then I would never have to go ahead and continuously mentally and emotionally look forward to this thing. There is something about when someone can see what you have refused to speak. The fact that out of all the things, he was like, you know what? He could have just said, next time this year, y'all going to have a baby. His words were, next year, gave it a time frame. At this time, you will be holding a son, gave it a gender, in your arms. Oh, so you double, triple, quadruple pulled on her heart because you let her know you gave her something to hold on to. You gave her something to expect. You gave her something to get excited about. You rose up something in her that she had to say she cried. The first no she gave, the Bible says no. She replied. The second no she gave was, no, my Lord, she cried. So that emotional response shows me that that was something that you have been suppressing. Then if it was something that was truly your heart's desires in the first place, why didn't you just ask for it? Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Why why are you afraid to get your hopes up? Who taught you that in this world, you can't have what you truly, truly, if it's something that God placed in your heart, then it's something that you will see with your eyes on this side of earth. But no, we live in a world that tells you like, yeah, you get these false pretenses. You get the celebrities that tell you, keep going. Your dreams can happen. And you're looking at them like, yeah, you could say that because your dreams are happening. But then there's certain other parts of you that you like, I don't think that if it hasn't happened at this moment, then should I still believe for myself? Like if it hasn't happened at this juncture in my life, should I still believe? And then you know what happens if you continue to read this story, something happened to that particular son. And I'm not going to give it away because I don't spoil alert when it comes to the Bible. Read your Bible. That's between you and the Lord. But when you go down to verse 28 in the same chapter, when something did happen to the child, I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 27. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it is. 28. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up. Pause. There it is. (laughs) I knew it. I know a good-hearted person when I read one. I know a person that wants to fill everybody else's tank, but it's okay with theirs being empty when I read one. I know what it looks like to want to pour into everyone else, but you okay with people sprinkling on you? I understand. Let me tell you something. Ma'am, I get it. I get it. I get what it feels like. And you're like, no, no, no. If, if I simply don't ask for it, I don't have to look forward to receiving it. If I simply suppress it, I don't have to look forward to it in my emotions. If I simply just... And you thought that you could serve a prophet. You thought, we thought we can serve a living God and have certain harsh desires remain dormant just because you have been accustomed to not even asking for it anymore. I don't want to dream about it anymore. I don't want to write it down anymore. I figured if I wrote it in my journal that one time closed it and put it in there, then I at least kind of like, you know, and if I spoke about it that one time, then I can just, and you're trying all these different tactics to suppress what is in your soul and God is like, and so when I come and shake some things up, do not revert back to a place. That makes it hard for you to receive it just because you kind of mutated yourself and not even asking for it. Oh, my goodness. So just like this Shunammite woman, just like what I feel like God has been working on, just literally working on me with. I truly feel like we need to get back to the place that we are adopting the innate way that God communes with us asking and receiving when we learn how to be better at presenting what we need what we desire what we want in question form then maybe it will be easier for us to receive it in the first place. He doesn't want you to receive something, and for the first three years, you're like, I cannot believe. I cannot believe. Because you don't hone in on those kind of things. You don't nurture those kind of things. You treat it like, no, 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 I don't want nobody. And you treat it like you start to hoard the blessing. Instead of looking at it like, look what the Lord has blessed me with. You look at it like, I got to I gotta park this thing where nobody else can do anything to. I got to make sure that I'm looking at every nick and cranny. Because you realize in your heart, it took me so long to receive this I don't want anything to happen to this. And so instead of receiving it with a hopeful heart, instead of receiving it with a pure heart, you now hoard it because you don't know how to ask. So now you don't even know how to receive this. There is something in that. So my challenge to you is to go back to the top of you. I want juice. And what happened? You received juice. I want ee eat, eat and what happened you received food i'm cold and you received warmth god is saying go back to learning how to ask so that you'll be better off enjoying it once you receive it don't suppress the marriage idea don't don't suppress the financial goal don't don't suppress the don't suppress it Because I want you to be surprised, not shocked, like, oh, he did it. No, surprised, like, you knew it was your birthday. You knew you was going to get something. That's a surprise. He wants you to be surprised, but he wants you to, more than ever, be in a place and a state that you can receive it wholesomely, not with fear, not like the Shunammite woman, like, I, I told you, I, did I ask you for this, son? I told you don't deceive me. She received what he said, but she received it with fear. No, 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 I don't, don't do that. I don't, I hold on now, because you don't mean. and so what happened? Yeah, when, whenever you mix what God is trying to do with an emotion or an expectation that is counterfeit to what God wants you to have, it, it kind of compromises the gift. Yeah, he's like, I want you to have a son in a year. She's like, no, 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 no. Don't deceive me. I didn't. Okay, so when you blend those two, guess what? And something happens to him, then you could say, I knew it. I told you I didn't want A, B, and C. Then when something happens with that promotion, I knew it. I knew that a, no, 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 it shouldn't. Why do you even have the mindset of holding something in the back of your mind where you can actually utter the words, I knew it? I knew they was going to do that when I got to this position. I knew that was going to happen when I moved down here. I knew that was going to happen to the car once I received it. Like, so then why... Why did you hold on to that knowledge? Why didn't you rebuke it and say, no, that's, that's, I'm not receiving that because if God wants me to have something, I'm receiving it the way that God wants me to receive it. I'm not receiving it the way the enemy would want me to, with doubt, with, with confusion, with, um, uh, I'm not worthy and all these other things. I'm not receiving that. So rebuke it. I don't receive it that way. I'm going to receive it exactly the way that God intended And that's that on that. Or what the young people still say. I don't know if they still saying it, but period. Do you understand? But listen, I feel like you got what you needed. Mm -hmm. You know what these conversations are? They are life provoking conversations, conversations that not the average person's going to have with you. But who your favorite home girl, Uh, YouTube, you've been checking your girl. Yeah, created the number two multiply, mm-hmm. and also created to multiply for all the things that are all the things. Let me explain something to you. When I say that we doing what we doing, how we doing it, we doing it, okay? And you understood every piece of that, so you got YouTube's and websites and the Patreon tribe the letter in inspire to go to so I'm gonna go ahead and let you let me go we talk later mm-hmm. later